my goodness, 2021, 2021, yeah, that's about right, that's about right. You know, usually I'd be like, come on guys, but not this year. This year I'm like, yeah, it's about right, 2021, I mean, who knows how to feel? I have no idea. Uh, are we supposed to be excited? Not, what does it all mean? What are we walking into? I, I, I don't know. But, but here's what I do know. I do know that we walked out of 2020 exactly the way that I would want us always to walk out of every year, no matter how beautiful or how brutal it is. That we would walk out of a year over and over again saying that no matter what this year has brought us, no matter what the circumstances of this year are trying to communicate to us, no matter how much the world is trying to tell us uh, to hold on to everything we have and to protect ourselves, that we would dare to be the kind of people because we know and believe in Jesus to say, no, 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 what is mine is not mine, it's his. And when I have an opportunity to part with what is mine for the sake of the greater redemptive story, then I choose to do that in a, in a second. And so as we closed out 2020 on Christmas Eve, uh, we shared a story of a family here in Orlando, uh, a church planter and his family who had a fire in their apartment and lost everything. And they, the kids, Christmas trees, Christmas gifts, furniture, photographs, computers, you name it, all gone. And uh, we gathered up together uh, as a church here at WDW and at Winter Garden. And we said, let's take little bits and pieces of our collective resources and pool them together and see if we can go to this family and give them a head start on the new life that they have to go and build out of this tragedy and turn a brutal story into a beautiful one. And uh, the last week of 2020, we as a church collectively brought in more than $40,000 in that single evening. Isn't that awesome? $40,000 together. And, and Terry Jeter and Eric, who was just up here leading worship, got to roll by and go and deliver that envelope to the family and say, uh, we want you to rebuild your lives. And uh, for them to process the reality that a church that they don't attend, that they bring nothing to, uh, brought to them everything they needed in a moment of great need. That is the way to end a year. And that's the way I pray that Mosaic will end every single year as we have in the years past. And I pray we'll do it in the years to come, no matter what the year might bring. But the question that lingers tonight is not how we ended the year, but how we should start this next one. In fact, more than that, not just how should we start this next year, but where on earth should we go this next year? What should it look like for us as people who follow Jesus uh, to live out our lives in this new, brand new space called 2021? Uh, when we don't really know what it's going to hold, how do we enter into it uh, in this kind of sense of vision and clarity on where God wants to take us? This is a tradition at Mosaic. For us to start the very first weekend of every year asking that question, God, what is it you want for us this year? Where is it you want us to go? Because at Mosaic, we want to be a people that over the next two, three, four decades change the world on behalf of Christ by his 
power and his spirit to go out and redeem unredeemed spaces over and over again until the entire world changes. That's what we want to do. But that is not going to happen just suddenly over 40 years. It's going to happen year over year, month over month, day over day. It's going to matter how we live our days and our weeks and our years in order to produce a 40-year world-changing reality. And so it is important each year for us to start out and say, what are we going to focus on? What are we going to think about? What are we going to act in and on this year that is going to be unique to the years past and the years to come that God wants us to focus on? Now, most years as I enter this space, I I love this particular Sunday because I love potential. I love dreams. I love hopes. I love, I love what might be and could be. I love those spaces. And so this is a fun space. And so every year when we enter this particular week, I always come into this week feeling a little bit like I'm in a Narnia movie or in a Lord of the Rings movie or in some movie where you know, there's been a, a gathering of folks and they, there's an adventure afoot somewhere ahead and, and they've gathered up and they've shared about this adventure and they're, they're packing their backpacks and getting ready. I, I picture getting on this big ship, uh, the, the ocean blue ahead, the, the winds behind us on our backs, the sun shining from the right and the uh, sky is blue and uh, who knows what dragons we shall face, but we're going to get on the ship and we're going to roll on out into the grand adventure. This year doesn't feel that way to me. Um, it, do, it doesn't feel less exciting, it just feels different, very different. And so I've been pondering, what is this different that I'm feeling? How, how do I capture what it is I'm feeling this year that is different from years past where this has felt like a embarking on a grand adventure? And I was watching a movie just recently uh, that suddenly gave it to me because I think in movies. And so uh, I need to find a movie with a scene that I'm like, there it is. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. And so I found that movie. Um, how many of you guys have ever uh, heard of Glosterman? This term, Glosterman. Yeah, me neither. I had no idea who these people were. Um, but uh, in a movie scene, I, I discovered who the Glosterman were. So there's a movie called The Perfect Storm. It came out a number of years ago, and it hit streaming services just recently. And, and so I'm like, oh, yeah, Perfect Storm. I saw that a long time ago. Let me watch it again. And it was just as good as I remember it being, in fact, even better. And so... I watched The Perfect Storm, and The Perfect Storm is a movie based on a true story that happens off the coast of Massachusetts in some of the most dangerous oceans in the world. And there's a little town called Gloucester there, and people from Gloucester are fishermen, and they go out since the 1900s, the early 1900s, like 1900, these people have gone out from Gloucester into these dangerous waters to go fishing, and thousands have lost their lives in these crazy waters because you go out, and then these big storms come up suddenly. But this particular movie was about uh, a particular boat, uh, the Andrea Gale, who had gone out, and this, the, the captain of this boat, they were fishing vessel, had had a couple of years of bad luck, and it, it kind of seemed like he'd lost his touch, and so the crew was a little discouraged, and he was discouraged, and so they made a decision to go out further than they usually would into a part of the ocean they usually wouldn't that made things even more dangerous than usual because if the storms came up, it would be dangerous. But when they got out there, the fishing was fantastic, better than they could have dreamed, the best fishing they'd ever had. While they were out in the big open ocean in these waters, a storm started brewing, but not an ordinary storm. That's why it's called the perfect storm. Uh, they, They say that three storms collided at once, uh, that it never happens that way. And this was indeed the most ferocious of storms. And there's a scene in this movie where 
these guys on this little boat are out in the ocean blue and they've got to make their way back and they, 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 their boat is full of fish and the fish are going to spoil if they don't get back. And so the captain says, listen, it's time to roll home. And all the guys on the boat are like, yeah. And then he goes up into the little boat and this fax comes through from the weather service. And the fax shows the magnitude of the storm. Like these are fishermen. They understand how storms work. And he pulls this fax off. There's this scene. He pulls this fax off and he sees the collision of these storms. And he realizes to get back home, they've got to go straight through the middle of this extraordinarily ferocious storm. And so there's a scene where he comes out on the deck and he gathers the guys. And, and he says to them, look, look guys, uh, he, I want to show you the facts. And they all knew what the facts meant. D- crazy dangerous storm. And he said, we, 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 you know, we, we have a choice. We can, we can ride this one out. Stay out here in the, in the blue ocean. Wait for the storm to pass two, three days at most. And once the storm has passed, we can make our way back to land. And, and if we do that, the fish on this boat will spoil. But we will fish another day. Or we can roll through the storm and get home with this catch. Bring all these fish home. Now, now here's what's interesting about the scene. When he first said, you know, we can stay out here, all the guys were like, what? We're going to lose all the fish. It was a very practical decision. You know, we, we don't want to lose the fish. But nobody said, let's, let's roll into the storm because the fish are worth it. They were just kind of grieving the fact that they would lose the fish, right? But when he said, or we can roll into the storm, one of the guys on the boat says, well, we're Gloucestermen, just like that. And another guy says, well, are we or aren't we? Remember, clear as day. And I remember thinking to myself, what a stupid thing to say. <laughs> like you're trying to make a decision about rolling into a dangerous storm and your, your big hoorah is we're Gloucestermen? Like, what does this mean? So I went and looked up what Gloucestermen were. And then it all started making sense. So if, if you Google it, it's very interesting because you would think it's just people born in Gloucester. But it turns out that's not the case. Well, you could be born in Gloucester, but that doesn't make you a Gloucesterman at all. Here's what it says. To be a Gloucesterman doesn't simply mean to be born in Gloucester or live there. To be a Gloucesterman doesn't simply mean to be a fisherman. There's many fishermen on the oceans. No, no, no. The fishermen call themselves Gloucestermen not because they provide their hometown with a lot of fish. They call themselves this because they don't know the meaning of fear. These are men who never give up. These are men who have a goal and do everything to reach it. These are men who love life. These are adventurous men. These are brave men. These are warm-hearted men. And these are men that will do anything to bring home to their families the provision from the ocean. That's what makes a Gloucesterman. A, a Gloucesterman is somebody that stares at a giant storm that's supposed to kill them. And instead of backing down from the storm and waiting out the storm so it can pass and then getting home and doing what it takes, a Gloucesterman rolls into the storm and gets home. You see, what drove the decision to make their way home wasn't that they had a bunch of fish on their boat. It was the identity that they knew they had. They weren't fishermen. They were Gloucestermen. And that's different. And if you don't roll into the storm, then you don't get to call yourself a Gloucesterman. You simply get to call yourself a fisherman. 
because only Gloucestermen dare to roll into the store. So that got me thinking. As we roll into 2021, if we're going to make a decision about how we're going to roll through this year, maybe our decision should start, not with the practicalities or realities of what makes most sense, but maybe our decision should start based on who we are, based on our identity. See, because we're not Gloucestermen. I don't know any Gloucestermen here in the room. I'm certainly not one. I'm not stupid enough to go fishing on those dangerous seas. But I'll tell you what I am. I am a follower of Jesus. That is my identity. If you read the scriptures, what becomes abundantly clear is that following Jesus isn't just a thing we do. It's something we become. When you receive Christ as your savior, everything changes. What is dead becomes alive and what is lost becomes found and a future that is unredeemed becomes redeemed and our identity changes from being a human being that is just simply trying to make it through life to becoming a follower of Jesus and then everything in scripture begins to speak to us as though that's the primary thing that matters. So being a follower of Jesus is an identity issue. And so I began to ask myself, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? If somebody Googled that, like you Googled, what's a Glastaman? And you read about it. If somebody Googled, what is a follower of Jesus? What might they find? Now, I don't know what Google's going to tell them, and I don't really care because it's not Google that I follow. But I do care what the Word of God says. And so I started digging again into the Word of God, trying to say, what is it that would define a follower of Jesus as the world watches on and as we see each other? Now, obviously, if you know the Bible at all, you know that Jesus said many things about what it meant to follow him. He said things like, my followers aren't going to have a pillow to put their head on. They're not going to have a, a room, to, a bed to sleep in. Uh, he, what he was saying is, man, my followers aren't going to try to live a life to fulfill their own comforts. They are going to lay their lives down for the sake of redeeming places, and it's going to get hard sometimes. He's the one that said, my followers will take up their cross daily and follow me. They will seek out unredeemed spaces, and they will take them on no matter how deadly those things are. My followers are going to live differently. So he said many things about what we're going to do and what we're going to be like, but there was a particular occasion where Jesus bothered to say, my followers followers will be known by something. That's different. It's like saying you want to define what it is to be a Gloucesterman. Here's what it is. You want to define what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Here's what you should look for. It was at a a meal, the very last meal Jesus had with the disciples prior to his crucifixion. He had some meals after that that with them. So this wasn't his last meal with them, but it was his last meal before he was crucified. And at that meal, Jesus was sitting with them and, and, and he was telling them that he was about to do something insane. He was talking about being glorified and, and that uh, finally the reality of all that he said he was was going to come true. He was going to be glorified. The father was going to be glorified. And, and then he says to them, and, and where I'm going, you can't go. So Jesus is speaking about his death. And saying, I've got to go redeem the human race by dying and rising from the dead. And you can't go with me there. But then Jesus says, I I am going to give you a new command though. That's what I'm going to go do for you that you can't do for yourselves. But there is something you can do once I've done this thing for you. And you are empowered by my spirit. So I'm going to give you a new command by which you should live. And this command is going to change everything. Listen to what he says. John chapter 13 verse uh, uh, Verse uh, 34, a new command I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, this was in the context of Jesus just washing the disciples' feet. So at the same meal, Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Messiah, the Savior, who was to be served and not to serve, got down on his knees and washed the disciples' feet, an act of servitude toward those who are supposed to be serving him. And in this act, he was demonstrating that instead of us taking what is ours and what we deserve and lording it over those around us, we are to take what is ours and what we deserve and to lay it down for those around us. We are to serve those who ought to serve us. That is the way of Jesus. So he said, I want you to love each other that way. And then listen to what he says. By this, all people will know that you are my followers, that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If you love each other in this way that I have loved you, then the world will see you and what will set you apart, what will make you distinct, what will define you as a follower of Jesus like nothing else is the way you love each other. We will do many good things, and that is awesome. And certainly the good works we do will bring glory to God, and the people will look and glorify the Father for our good works. That's in the Bible too. But it never actually says those will define us. Do you know why? Because lots of people do good works. Lots of people do good things. Subaru gives $24 million a year away. Disney gives lots of money away. Greenpeace does lots of good things. Lots of people do lots of good things. And we celebrate that. But that does not define us any more distinctly from them just because we do good things. But what will define us that nobody else can quite do in the way that we are able to do it, empowered by the Spirit, is the way we will love each other. Now, after Jesus taught this, he died, he rose from the dead, he spent some time with the disciples, and he ascended into heaven. And he sent the disciples to Jerusalem, and he said to them, wait there, I'm going to send you my spirit. And he did. He sent them the spirit of God, and the spirit of God came upon them, and the apostles began to preach the gospel, and thousands of people came to know Jesus. And then it says, as these thousands of people gathered up and started hanging out, something started happening. The apostles the disciples of Jesus began to teach. Now, it doesn't tell us what they taught. We can assume they taught what's in the New Testament because then they wrote it all down. But we don't know that. It doesn't say in chapter one of the book of Acts, here are all the teachings of the apostles to the new, brand new early church community. It simply says they taught. And we know that because in verse 42 of chapter two, it says, and they, the followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. So they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So what is it that they were teaching? I I don't know, but I do know this. I do know what the result was of their teaching because that it does say, look, look what it says. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So that was awesome. And then it says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. What a fascinating statement to make. They had all things in common. Now what does this mean? Does this mean that God came and took all their unique personalities and wiped them off the the board and made them all the same personality? They were like, the same as you. I have all things in common. You think God took all of their backstories and changed them all to be the same backstories? Do you think God took all their opinions about politics and about life, about religion, and made them all the same? And they were like, we're all the same. We have all things in common. 
No, no, we know that not to be true. How do we know? Because the rest of the entire New Testament is big, long letters about how the Gentiles are supposed to get along with the Jews, and the Jews are supposed to get along with the Gentiles, and the Jews are supposed to get along with the Jews, and the Gentiles are supposed to get along with the Jews, nobody gets along with anybody. And so apparently God changed nobody into this conformed space. The diversity of opinions and thoughts and ideas and personalities remained, and yet they are able to say that this new community taught by the apostles who were taught by Jesus had everything in common. What does it mean? It doesn't mean that they agreed on everything. It means that the only thing that mattered to them that they agreed on was Jesus. That what they had in common was Jesus and Jesus was more than enough. And all the other things that mattered to them only mattered to them insofar as they were subservient to how much Jesus mattered to them. Paul would later on write in the book of Philippians and say this, I count all things rubbish in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. In other words, whatever I count important... I only count important as long as it does does not disrupt how important Jesus is. So if you have Jesus as your most important and in many ways only important and I have Jesus as my most important and only important, then everything we disagree on is subservient to that. So we can say we have what in common? All things in common because we have Jesus in common. See, this was how the church community emerged. Then after this new church community emerged, persecution came along and it scattered the people all over the place. And through persecution, man, people were struggling a great deal. Is the gospel going to survive? How's this going to play out? And James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes a letter to the early New Testament church. First letter that goes out. And in this letter, he writes about many things, but one strikes me as he summarizes to this new early New Testament church kind of what it means that we follow Jesus. He says this, James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What a fascinating thing to start with. And there's all this stuff in James, and he goes, listen, stop for a second. You'll, you'll, think, you, you'll think you follow Jesus, all religious. Woo! If you don't bridle your tongue, whatever religiousness you think you have, it's worthless. Because the first thing that's going to happen when you have an awe of Jesus and he becomes all that matters to you is that it will change the way you think and speak about things. You will bridle your tongue. You will... You will be careful with your words. Because here's the thing. The thing that is most devastating to our ability to love each other is an unbridled tongue. How do we know this? Welcome to 2020. We've never seen a better example of it, of what the unbridled tongue does to a community that loves each other. So he says, first of all, you got to bridle your tongue. Second of all, you got to see other people's needs, the destitute and the difficult, above your own. Look what he says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And then look what he says. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, James writes and says, listen, Jesus taught us some things. 
The apostles have taught us these things and we live by them. And when we allow the world's things to begin to become important to us again, enough so that they override the Jesus things, then we will buy into the things of the world and we will become stained by that. We will stop bridling our tongue. We will turn into a community like every other and no one will know we follow Jesus. And so here's what you gotta do. You gotta take your cues from God's word. You gotta take your cues from what he taught us, and you, know, you should not take your cues from the world. So we should not take our cues from BBC, CNN, Fox, Facebook, Instagram, or any other space on the planet. Can we see what's going on? Should we remain informed? Absolutely. But we should not take our cues from any of that. We should not draw our opinions from that. We should take our cues and draw our opinions from what Jesus has taught us. Why? Because what we have in common is what? Jesus. That's right. So James says, don't, don't get all caught up in the stupid stuff of the world. Because the second you do, it will drag you from the space that sets you apart as followers of Jesus. And then it goes on, right? After James... The church expands, and then the authors of the New Testament begin to write. What, what book did we just travel through for the last year and a half? Ephesians. Let's see, what was Ephesians about? Yeah. It was about the extraordinary, wondrous gospel realities that we are recipients of through the grace of God. And then our response to that, and what was our response to that? Break down the walls of hostility, be of one mind and one heart, and love one another well. The entire book was like, this is what it looks like. Humble yourselves. Consider others better. Uh, it, it talked about specific relationships. Uh, all sorts of relationships. Here's how you do those. And, and you do them always with the attitude of Christ. Humbling yourself for the sake of others instead of trying to extract, extract what you can. We're going to go into the book of Colossians next. And in the book of Colossians, a sister letter to Ephesians, written at the same time as Ephesians, and carried with Ephesians to the city of Colossae, which I can't wait to share with you guys next week, because that's when we start that book. Listen uh, to what uh, Paul writes in the book of Colossians, a sneak peek to what's coming like nine months from now, because this is like Colossians 3, so that's like, oh, down the road. Okay, here we go. Here we go. You will have forgotten it by then. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now listen, listen. Bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Isn't that amazing? It's like the authors of the New Testament, like, guys, don't you get it? If we want to say we are followers of Jesus and we want people to say, what does that mean? And they look at us and they go, and when we say to them, what do you think it means to be a follower of Jesus? They should say, it must have something to do with the way you all love each other. Because we've never seen anything like it. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be. In the book of Philippians, uh, Paul also wrote that. Listen to how he says it here. I love this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ... Is there any encouragement in Christ? Anybody? Okay, so we're going to go yes on that one. So it's a rhetorical question. Is there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, just throwing it out there. 
if any comfort from his love. Anybody out there? Yes, yes. Is, is that, are we good there? Yes, comfort from his love. Good, excellent, excellent. Any participation in the spirit that he participates with us and we with him. We are empowered by him. Yes, we're good. Okay, none of these are, are off the table. This is an actual real thing. Any affection or sympathy from God. Do we have affection and sympathy from God? Yeah, great, excellent. Then, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Listen now. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Not only needs. It's not just saying, look at the needs of others. It's talking about interests. We live in a culture that says whatever you deem important, whatever you deem the critical issue, your job is to convince everybody else that that's the critical issue. But what the scripture says is, no, no, no. Show enough interest in somebody else's critical issues that you have the time of day to listen to their opinions and thoughts as well. This is how we love each other well. I don't know if you know this, but this is where the story of Mosaic began. In in this space, in this clarity, that what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that we would love each other like nobody else on the planet can love each other. When we first started this church uh, 18 years ago, We concluded early on, like that first couple of months, that they will know that we follow Jesus by our love for each other. So for the first two years of Mosaic's life, no joke, we weren't in the journey yet. We hadn't started Genesis yet. God hadn't shown us that yet. Here's what we did. We spent two years talking about nothing else, essentially, out of everything we studied in Scripture, other than how we're going to learn to do life together in a way that shows that we love each other. Because here's what we said. First two years of Mosaic. If we can't figure out how to love each other no matter what, They won't even know we follow Jesus. So what's the point of doing everything else? Then we may as well just go join Greenpeace. Why waste the time of being the church? Because what sets us apart as the people of God, as the followers of Jesus, is the way we love each other, not the things we do. And so we spent two years learning what it meant to do life together, to love each other. It wasn't easy. We were very different. I mean, Amanda Wright and, and I were in the, in the same space. Just do the math there. Carrie Waters. I mean, and Amanda, all of us, very different. We had differing opinions, thoughts, and personalities, but we figured it out together because we studied, read, preached, thought out of this. So in two years, we hit two decades as a church. 20 years old. And I think it kind of, it's kind of neat that the first two years of our first two decades, we were obsessed with trying to figure out what it means to love each other, no matter what. Maybe it's time for us to circle back around and spend the next two years doing the same thing again. So that we opened our first two decades with two years of learning to love each other well, and we rode that out for the last 16 years. But it's gotten harder, hasn't it? So how about we circle back on around and we spend the next two years learning it all over again. Now, I told you guys that coming into the vision of 2021 didn't feel as much like an adventure as much as it felt more like a foreboding decision. <laughs> and, and, and here's why. Because I, I feel very much like that captain on that boat. 
rolling up into the little cabin and seeing a fax come through. And the fax describes for us what we should expect in 2021. And it ain't pretty. You're like, what? Hold on. We just went through New Year's and then the clock changed and all the horror from 2020 went away. And now we're in 2021 and there's just pixie dust and wonder. Yeah, sorry to disappoint. Nothing changed. Just because the clocks did didn't change much else. Oh, we come a little ways, but the pandemic's still around. You all are wearing masks. And, and racial uh, discrimination and realities and tensions, still a lot of work to do there, more than we can imagine. Still have to figure out how on earth uh, we can get behind our men and women in uniforms, police officers and military people, because they protect us every day without diminishing the realities of all that that has held for the different racial uh, difficulties and struggles in the past. We haven't even figured that out yet. We still have a pandemic rolling around. And if you think those storms are big, there's some new ones coming. It turns out there's some vaccines out. And half the people say, don't take it. It'll track you to the ends of the moon. And, and they'll find you everywhere. And it hasn't been tested ever on anyone, so you're going to die if you take it. I took it. Woo! <laughs> and then there's the other half that go, if you don't take this vaccine, you're an idiot. You don't care about people. You're not a thinking person. Just because you don't need it doesn't mean you shouldn't take it. Which, which is it? Which is the right to call? See, we haven't even started that storm. <laughs> Woo! Come on, baby. Yeah, second one, first one, first one, second one, second one, first one. See, that's the point. We haven't even gotten started. See, I'm here to tell you the facts for 2021 doesn't look pretty. Doesn't look pretty. And to learn to love each other isn't going to be easier in 2021 than it was in 2020. It's going to get harder. So gather up, Mosaic Church. Gather up followers of Jesus because we got a choice. We got a choice. Either way, pick it. Choice number one, we cut our losses. We get out of the storm. We keep our heads down low. We wait for the circumstances to change before we try to love each other again because it's just too hard in the middle of all this. We keep our mouths shut. We don't try to repair what's been broken until after the controversy of all of this is gone. January, we get a new president or maybe not maybe they blow each other up i don't even know that's coming down the pike let all that die away let's get through the pandemic let's get through the vaccine stuff let's get to 2022 and then we'll start working on what it means to love each other let the storm pass let the fish rot that's the wise move i'll give you that it's what a normal fisherman would do (laughs) it's what a thinking person would do if They didn't know Jesus. But here's our other choice. Our other choice is that we say, we're followers of Jesus. And while the others ride out these circumstances, waiting for them to pass before they can learn to get along again, we're going to learn to get along in the middle of them. We're going to learn to love each other in the middle of them. Because if we can't figure it out this year, we'll never figure it out for real. We'll just have to wait each time the circumstances get hard to hate each other again until we can love each other again because the circumstances make it easy. But we, 
we are followers of Jesus. So I stand before you and I want to be the guy on the little boat that shouts not, we're Gloucestermen. I want to be the guy on the boat that shouts, we're followers of Jesus. And I want someone else out there to shout, well, are we or aren't we? Well, are we or aren't we? That's it. That's what we are. Are we or are we not followers of Jesus? Because here's the deal. If we're going to shrink away from 2021, keep our heads down and not do the hard work of repair and loving each other in the midst of differences and diversities and struggles and opinions and craziness, then we are just like the rest of the world. Jesus still loves us. Our eternity is still secure because that has nothing to do with our actions. That has to do with his grace. But let's not call ourselves followers of Jesus. We shouldn't carry the title. Because followers of Jesus are marked by their unique and supernatural love for one another. Whether in the middle of a beautiful, controversy-free year or one of epic storms. So I'm rolling in. I'm rolling on in. And I just want to tell you, this ain't romantic. That fax is very real. Uh, on Christmas Eve, I made a resolution. It's been a, a, a rough run at my home. I've got eight kids, several in college, several not, several everywhere, just everywhere. And they all talk back. And they all don't like me very much. Um, and so it's, when they all gather up from Thanksgiving until now, it's, it's, it's rough. So I, I haven't been super positive. I've been pretty negative you know, and so uh, Christmas Eve, I, I made a resolution. <clears throat> I'm about to preach this really cool message about loving each other. It's got to start in the home. I got to start thinking positively and speaking positively about my kids, my wife, and my family. We're three days in, folks. We're three days in. Oh, oh well. <laughs> it was a nice resolution. Didn't go so well. I mean, like day one, I was like, I'm like, well, this is going to be hard. (laughs) Doing what I'm asking us to work on this year isn't going to come easy. It's not a Disney love I'm asking for. It's not a Disney love I'm asking for. It's something much deeper than that, much harder than that, much more complicated than that, much more difficult than that. And it's not going to be easy and we're going to fail a bunch. But what makes us a follower of Jesus isn't that we succeed or fail at this. It's that we don't stop trying. You know those Glastermen that rode into that storm? They all died. They didn't make it through the storm. It's a true story. They rolled into the storm. Ah, we're Glastermen! And they died. <laughs> they died. We might die this year. We might not make it through this so well. But if they had chosen not to roll into the storm, they would have lived, but they wouldn't have had the right to call themselves Glastermen. Do you know why? Because what makes a Glastermen is not whether you make it through the storm. It's whether you dare to ride into it. And what makes us followers of Jesus is not whether we'll succeed every day at loving each other well. It's that we're not going to give up until we figure it out. Because we have the Spirit of God who will help us do it. So vision 2021, we're going to go learn to love each other again. We're going to do the hard work of repair. 
We're going to disagree and do it well. And we're going to show the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I kind of feel a little overwhelmed as I've been saying all day today because this feels impossible to me. It really does, God. You know that. I'm not just saying that because it sounds neat on a stage. It feels impossible to me. Considering everything that is going on, considering all the opinions flying around, considering the visceral realities of how emotional they all are, considering the, the big and giant controversies in, in which we are in the middle of. And, and that isn't even assuming all the stuff that was here before 2020 even began. And we're supposed to go figure out how to love each other in the middle of all this. God, it feels impossible. And that's why I love you. Because you've said that you make impossible things possible. You are supernatural. And you are in us. So I'm asking you, Spirit of God, would you rise up and show us the way. Teach us through your word how to love each other well. As we enter into the book of Colossians, use this beautiful letter to drive us into the supremacy of Christ and then drive us into the beauty of loving each other well in light of who you are. And God, as we go onward into this storm, into 2021, with all of its insanity, I pray that we'll what will separate it from 2020 is not whether the circumstances will change or not, but what will separate it from 2020 is how we change in it and who we show ourselves to be because we have you. Lead us, empower us, and use us to show the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name.